people, products and markets. I really believe that these are the three components that eventually make or break your startup success. And while most founders have sleepless nights thinking about their products and their markets, what they often tend to forget is the fact that a product can never be built and its fit with the market also will never be found if you don't have an amazing team to do this with together. My name is Charlotte. I am co-founder and CEO of Equalture, which is a team composition technology that helps tech scale-ups from all over the world in uh, building the team they need to be able to scale. And in this podcast, I chat with scale-up founders and CEOs from all over the world who've already discovered the incredible value and an incredible impact that their team has on their business. We talk about their way, their, their journey of building a team, their milestones, their failures, their lessons learned, um, all to help remind all founders out there of the incredible importance of their team and hopefully to help you build your winning team to scale. So my guest for today's episode is Richard Maybe, and Richard is the founder and CEO of Juro, which is a UK-based skill-up, really fast-growing, and they are offering a contract management platform. And what was actually so insightful about the chat I've had with Richard earlier this week um, was to hear more about his vision on the correlation between product market fit and your team size, or to be even more precisely, the correlation between product market fit and the urgency, the need you feel to scale your team faster. So in this episode, he will explain um, his vision on this topic and also, of course, the journey that he went through in terms of building a team at Euro. So uh, thank you for being my guest for today, Richard. It's great to have you. Awesome. Thanks for having me. So one thing I always ask to, uh, to my guests who are joining for an episode is uh, why did you say yes to recording this podcast with me? Yeah, so it's a, it's a good question. So I guess as a startup CEO, I see my mission uh, across four things, really. So one is ensuring the financial health of the company. Uh, one is setting the company's vision, being its public face. One is setting the company's strategy and goal. But probably the most important thing that I do is hiring uh, and then enabling the very best people to execute in their roles. So number one reason I said yes is uh, I, I love what you guys are doing at Equature and uh, I think it's um, it's just something that's very, very important to me. Cool. Couldn't be a better answer, of course, for me. <laughs> <laughs> can, you, uh, can you give a, a quick introduction of who you are and also um, how did you end up uh, founding this company? Yeah, so I, I'm one of the co-founders. Um, so uh, I founded the company just over four years ago. Um, and, and really, I mean, I started my career as a corporate lawyer, right? So one way or other, I spent my entire career working with contracts, first as a lawyer, now in a very kind of different context. Um, but, um, you know, my, my story is a fairly typical founder story. Like I, I realized on probably day one of my job with them, um, Freshfields, which is a, a law firm in Europe, mm -hmm. um, the, the processes of agreeing and then managing legal contracts was uh, highly inefficient. Um, and uh, and I felt the pain points that I think many of the, the users coming onto our platform have felt, which is working with Microsoft Word documents, 
uh, and uh, and messing around with red lines uh, and scans <laughs> of signatures in in 2020 is, is we think kind of not 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 acceptable in a, in a collaborative environment. Um, so so that was my initial insight. But my kind of journey to get there was a little bit um, less linear, let's say. So I went to business school for a year at INSEAD, uh, and then I I took a job mainly because I was so in debt from from business school. I took a job with LegalZoom, um, okay. who were just becoming big at that point. Uh, and then after a year or so, I, I kind of plucked up the courage to go and found the company, um, which was, yeah, February 2016. So we're actually almost four and a half years now. Cool. Very cool. If um, if someone would ask you to uh, describe your approach when it comes to building a company and especially building a team in three words, what would it be? Gosh, that's a really hard question. So um, three words. Um, <laughs> hire, hire the best. That's what I'd go for. Oh, that's exactly three words. <laughs> <laughs> no, because we, um, of course, we uh, we had a brief chat before we uh, before we started recording this episode, uh, and I did some research into the company uh, and also the, the the journey of growth that you've had. Um, and I think one thing that really got my interest is the fact that, of course, you founded a few years ago, very young company, uh, uh, VC funding. Um, um, and you have had a very controlled team growth. And what what we often see um, at our customers or just other uh, skills out there is that once they raise VC funding, there's some sort of hyper growth and uh, uh, really a lot of people get hired and then most often some get laid off again. And then you have those uh, fluctuations in, in terms of growth, uh, but it's very extreme. In your case, it's extremely controlled. So. I'm very curious if that was a um, um, if it was really a decision you made, or that it's more of a coincidence that it happened that way. Well, it was a decision that we made. I mean, you know, we've raised now eight million US in uh, in venture funding um, from actually three venture capital funds and some some angels as well. Um, and look, I, you know, I think if you if you look at the kind of Andreessen school of thought, right, um, they would tell you that the only thing that matters is product market fit, right? So the, the examples that you mentioned, which is people hiring a ton of people and laying them off, can only really be down to one of two things. One is poor hiring. So you just literally hired the wrong people and then you need to rehire them. Uh, and the second is going to be um, that you're just not at the level of product market fit you thought you were at, right? Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think if you look at you know, PMF, product market fit, right, as a, a kind of spectrum or a scale, I think there's this huge mistake that as a founder, you think you're at like 100, where actually you're at like 65%, let's say. So you go, well, let's just hire like 20 people into the sales team. And then you you realize, well, hold on, we, we you know, we've built the wrong product, or actually like we're going after the wrong market, and we need to really rein this back. So I think like the, the advantage um, of some of the advice that we had from you know, Union Square Ventures and from Point Nine Capital and Seed Camp and, and actually some of our angels like Paul Forster and, you know, Michael Pennington, Tavet in Rikus, um, was, you know, like the goal here is get perfect product market fit, right? So how do you do that? And actually hiring a ton of people doesn't help you that much. In fact, mm -hmm. it can slow you down, right? Because all of a sudden there are management structures and there's kind of political bullshit going on and all of these things that you just, just really don't help that goal. So. So the, the the reason why we've kind of grown headcount slowly is partly because we wanted to get to a better level of product market fit and faster. And the second reason was, I think, uh, much more kind of HR related. I think we realized early on as, as co-founders, Pavel and I did, that 
you know, the difference between hiring someone who is really, really great. So a kind of, you know, in the, in this, this classic parlance, an A player, let's say, mm-hmm. uh, and someone who is, let's say a B player is not just that they're like twice as good or twice as effective or twice as efficient, but they might actually be like 50 times mm-hmm. and more impactful in that role. And so this is why we've always hired extremely slowly right uh and and in some cases we've fired fast right and and this is the kind of advice that everyone gets mm-hmm. but if you look at like i mean the last role we hired for uh, actually last but one was um director of sales right and we had i think 950 applications for that role right wow. so we're not short of demand of people coming in but you know trying to hire the right person requires you know a, a really strict process it requires controlling for biases it requires creating an amazing candidate experience all of these things and then if you find that right person that kind of unicorn then suddenly the company goes on a, on a much much faster trajectory than than otherwise so mm-hmm. I, I think I, I've seen mistakes I've made mistakes um, and I see mistakes all the time being made by founders um, and I think you know it's it starts with like what problem do you need to solve? Like, why do you need this hire? It then goes into like, what's the best possible profile for this hire? What's the right process? Mm-hmm. And then and then it's just the muscle you develop, I think ultimately as a hiring manager, which is how do you make the right decisions? Um, I think uh, we've we've purposefully avoided that, that scale up phase really until now, which is now we feel at a really good level of product market fit. and this whole new pressure of you need to scale really fast. And I think we've hired seven people in the last couple of months. Um, that that pressure we're now, we're now feeling. Yeah, yeah. It's actually super interesting what you're saying. So um, I'm going to make it very simple, of course, in my, uh, in my summary. Basically what you were saying is the, uh, the more difficulties you have with your product market fits, the more people you tend to hire. And I think, um do you think that many founders just start hiring people and also do it very fast because they just think like okay, if i want to become a successful company i just need to get the smart brains into the room and then it will happen it it, it will just start happening i i think so um I, i've seen that a lot so you know let's say let's say you're you're five people and you're you're mainly engineers and designers and you're just building a product and then at some point you say hey we've got to we've got to sell this right mm-hmm. it's not going to solve your problem to hire a vp of sales right so so the thing that i really believe in um and, and uh, I, I know you guys do this as well is you've got to do it yourself as a founder mm-hmm. right so i think i close personally maybe five 500k in arr like myself and 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 it's like i'm not really naturally a salesperson didn't come naturally to me but you've got to force yourself to do it and like just the action of like learning that really intensive and aggressive learning uh, and and closing those deals and experiencing it makes you so much better set up as as a manager than to hire someone to replace you in that in that role and and, you know that's that's necessary and of course then there's enablement right it's like can you actually enable like a vp of sales right or can you enable like a vp of engineering to do that job well well you've never done it yourself like you, you you're starting on the back foot so definitely i think that's a, a big pitfall and a, a trap that people fall into what do you think is the most um um the most scary rule you've ever put online the the maybe the 
the, the responsibility that you had in the company because of the fact that you were one of the founders and you did it yourself and then you needed to hire someone to do it for you. What was the, the, the most scary one? Um, I think for, for, I mean, this is you know, someone who reports my co-founder, Pavel, but I think when we hired our first lead designer, that was, uh, I think, something for us as a very design-led company um, and, so, and founders who, you know, to whom this is really, really important, um, mm -hmm. you know, having between us hacked together the first kind of iterations and actually literally designed ourselves the wireframes of the product and uh, having to find the brand, all of a sudden this responsibility is passed and we, you know, we hired Ilya from, from Revolut, They've done an, an amazing job, um, but definitely scary and just like the the chance of hiring the wrong person, them compromising on the vision, or like, I think in all of these things, it, it tends to be quite simple in my mind, which is I wanna hire people who can teach me stuff, mm -hmm. right? Like if I'm hiring a, a lead designer and I'm teaching them design, there's something like massively wrong. Whereas, you know, working with Ilya over the last couple of years, I've learned tons of stuff from him every day. And that's, that's how I think it should feel, right? As a CEO, you should be hiring for people who can do that job way, way better than you can. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I completely, I completely agree. Uh, but of course, doesn't mean that it's easy to hand over your responsibilities. Uh, are you a bit of a control freak? Naturally, yes. I'd say I try, <laughs> try very hard not to be. Um, you know, it, it's a very, it's a very interesting, and I'm interested in your experience on this as well. But it's very interesting as a founder, right? The the balance between being a sort of a bottom bottom up kind of manager, an enabler of people on the mm -hmm. one hand, and then someone who is sort of very clearly directing the strategy and vision of the company. Um, and and I think it's a balance that probably everyone grapples with, right? Yeah. But to, to give you an ex a couple of examples of how how we did this, um, I think I think one one really important thing is to be absolutely crystal clear on the goals mm -hmm. so you know we use as i think lots of other people do the okr framework but I, I think if you do the goal setting really really well and if you're clear and consistent in, in articulating the the company's story and its vision then i think uh management uh, and hands-off management let's call it becomes a lot easier Mm -hmm. I think if you're unclear in defining where the company is going um, what the goals are or the goals are the wrong goals I think that's the kind of the the, the kind of situation in which you as founder become micromanager because essentially what you're doing is saying I, I don't trust the people who are owning these functions <laughs> and sometimes it is the case right and sometimes I think um, I think Jason Lemkin's quite good on this but um, sometimes you have to rule by fiat, right? You have to you have to be a dictator, and you have to come in and say, "Look, I know we want to build this huge consensus, but actually, like this is the, this is the decision, uh, mm -hmm. and I'm going to take this decision. You you may not like it, but this is necessary for for the company to be successful. And I have been in that situation, but try and avoid it. And most of the time, I like to give good enablement to our senior hires to run their functions, directed really on one thing for me which is what what are the ultimate strategic goals yeah yeah i think really funny that you say that because we um we've posted a head of customer success position two days ago mm. uh, and we are about to test with an okr based job description instead of some sort of a, uh, a persona job description let's say uh, and i think that's 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 indeed really true what you're saying if you uh, we had that discussion, for instance, within our CS team, like, okay, we are going to hire someone, but what are actually the goals of this team? Because if we find out that the, if, if we hire a head of success and a head of customer success, and within three months, we can actually reach these goals, and there's no need to 
hire another person for CS. Well, if you say like, hey, someone in my CS team is responsible for 100 customers. Oh yeah, I have another 100 customers, so it makes sense to just hire another one. So I think that the OKR, uh, the OKR approach really makes you aware of the fact that um, your team size should be depending on your goals and not the other way around. For sure, and and I th I think it's I, I totally agree with that approach. I think that's smart. Um, I think it, it's it's very. I mean, you get a lot of pressures, right? As a founder, right? You're like, I hold on. I've read this Series A from this USVC. Like, I've read online that now I need to hire a VP of sales, right? Like, there's there's, there's all this kind of pressure of like this is the stuff you do, right? But mm -hmm. but I, that that is absolutely the wrong way around, and that is I think the path to failure in these roles, and in failure not just for the company but also for the people who are coming into those roles. I think it's it is fundamentally disrespectful to hire someone and to get them to stake their career on your company if you don't have an idea of what you want them to achieve. So I think that um, you know we have an excellent. Um, uh, a talent lead called Thomas, who, who's very good on this and, and blogs about it uh, on, on the Jure blog. But, you know, the, the, it's very simple in many respects. I mean, it sounds very simple, but it's actually very hard to do. But <laughs> starting with why, why do we need this person, right? I, I think that you cannot spend enough time in asking yourself that question. And especially if you can link it to um, OKRs or, or even just like the financial model of the company, the sequence in my mind should be, okay, well, what, what is the metric that needs to go up, right? Like, what is the thing that we don't think that we can do, like, as founders hacking this together, right? Mm -hmm. And then all the way down to, okay, well, what are the strategic deliverables of that role? What are the outcomes of that role? And I think when you're clear on that, like, actually, like, who you hire becomes relatively straightforward to define. Um, and you can see this actually on our careers page now, more and more our roles. Um, will start with just outcomes, right? Like, this mm -hmm. is what's expected of you in the role. And then the sort of, you know, what kind of person you are, I think it's is kind of interesting because you know it's so tempting to say, hey, well, look, we need a, a director of sales, but we'll only hire someone who's seen a series A to series C journey at a you know mid-market focused SaaS company who's gone to a top university. But you know, often that's not correlated with success, right? Like okay. if you get really, really good at hiring, like you you should know that like often you're gonna have to hire people in unusual profiles with unusual backgrounds, yeah. right? Um but I think absolutely, if you start with the wrong premise, like you're already set up for failure. Yeah, yeah. Is this something you um, you did right from day one, or did you learn it the hard way that this is how it works to successfully build a team? Um, I, we didn't start with that from day one for sure, because I, I think like the the first few hires we made were all engineers, um, which my co-founder hired and and had worked with many of them before mm -hmm. right so there was it was a network hiring play let's say mm -hmm. uh, in the first instance um yeah for sure we made a ton of mistakes i think um you know you know i think it's two things like one is i think as a ceo and uh, you know i'm a first time first time founder right um i think you've got to you've got to build like some muscle power in your brain around this right mm -hmm. so if we, if we think about like you know you can have a process as you want but actually like can you do pattern recognition can you kind of see this stuff when you're interviewing and hiring like do you really know what great looks like how do you know do you have the network that can advise you all these things that that mm -hmm. takes a bit of time mm -hmm. but you know I, I think one influential thing for me was reading that book that everyone reads uh, called who 
um, which uh, yeah. I think teaches you a little bit that process. Mm -hmm. I think the, the the problem with with all these things is you read it and you kind of nod along and you're like, God, this this theory makes so much sense. I'm definitely going to do that, and then you just kind of forget to do it, right? Or you're like, you're so busy mm -hmm. and you sort of compromise. And I think this is to go back to that that point of like hiring slow. I, I think it's just just never compromise, right? Just like if if you have any doubt about a person, don't hire them. If you um, uh, you know, can't get your number one and number two candidates, just don't hire the number three candidate. Like it's going to be worse than doing the role yourself. Like I think all of these principles just take a bit of time to learn. But then when you get there, the amazing thing that can happen is you hire someone who really is transformative to the, to, to your business. Uh, and that is like a really, really rewarding thing, um, you know, yeah. as you scale. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, you mentioned the, 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 the sales director position. More than 950 applicants. Yes. My brain will be exploding if I have 950 applications <laughs> in my software. Uh, how do you, uh, 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 maybe by explaining how you actually came to that hiring decision, I understand how you how your brain works when it comes to team building because this is this is such an exercise to complete. Yeah. Yeah. So so. I guess starting with like, why did we hire that person? So we we were doing founder-led sales for like a long time um, mm -hmm. and, and it worked like pretty well. And then we hired, you know, a couple of reps and we ramped them up and we hired a couple of SDRs and we ramped them up. And then we had this problem, which was like, basically I was managing like the sales team, right? Mm -hmm. And and there was just like, you know, I, I'm okay. I'm not world-class and I didn't have that much time for it. So we sort of created that problem for ourselves where we really needed a leader to then go and own that function, take over the playbook and the coaching and the, and the mentoring of that team. Um, so we started with a framework. So we use uh, a notion document for this in a defined structure with um, a document that starts with why. So why do we need this person? What are the outcomes? Like, are we sure they relate back properly to the, mm -hmm. the KPIs? Um, who's going to be on the hiring team? Um, like, how, like what are gonna be the competencies we're gonna test? How are we gonna test them? We then use uh, Lever for our ATS. So building scorecards, trying to make the process efficient. And then I think like from the from like the candidate sourcing perspective, um, you know, I, I didn't know why it happened. Like I think um, I, I just posted on LinkedIn um, kind of the story I've just told, right? And, mm -hmm. um, you know, it resonated enough with the community to go and get like a few hundred applications in. Um, and, you know, we post on job sites and things like that. But I, I, I still a big believer in outreach. I mean, I, you know, we, we had um, our, our talent team outreaching to very specific candidates based on very specific criteria. Mm -hmm. um, and ultimately, you know, James, who we hired, uh, I, I'm pretty sure was a, an outreach candidate, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's still, you know, very traditional and very um, you know, labor intensive. Um, but I think, you know, you pursue that multi-channel strategy, you're going to get like lots of good applicants just by force of number. Um, and then like the hard thing is evaluation, I think. Yeah, 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 indeed it is, indeed it is. And especially if you need to go from 950 people to one person, it's uh, it's, it's, it's insane. If you, um, if there's one thing of which you're saying, this is what we, this is how we now do it when it comes to building a team, uh, regardless of whether it's more hiring related or HR related, and that's actually something I would like to change in this company. What would it be? Um, so, 
So, so I think you know. So Thomas, who's our, our talent lead, is, is relatively new into Juro. Um, amazing, amazing performer. Um, I think like one thing we're spending a lot of time on at the moment is uh, enablement of existing managers in the business. Right. Mm -hmm. So we've just got you know we've got enough longevity and we have very low people churn that all of a sudden people's careers are progressing within Juro, right, in mm -hmm. a way that they just didn't in, you know, four years ago. So I think providing those really defined paths and milestones is really important. And then now we have managers of managers, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so all of a sudden, we're bringing out managers in the organization who are taking on their first direct reports. I think a big project for us right now is enabling those managers. So having check-ins with the people and talent team, having like defined like notion templates for holding a career development session having a notion template for holding weekly one-on-ones uh, professionalizing those processes is really important because i think you know with real top performers you know they, they'll want to progress fast within the organization and that doesn't just mean you know getting a pay rise right uh, or getting some more options it means uh, having meaningful training and enablement i think that's really hard in a small organization right because there's not huge budgets for L and D. There's not like mm -hmm. you know a huge kind of um, team supporting people. But you know, the reality is, I don't think it's an excuse in a startup to say, "Hey, everything's kind of scrappy." Like you know, just like just 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 do this, and 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 hopefully things are fine. I don't think that's ultimately how you enable people. So we're doing a lot of work right now in in that area. Yeah, seems like you're getting ready for the the real skill phase that everyone is talking about. <laughs> I, I think so. You know, I, I think like one of the most valuable things we did, right, was um, actually kind of nothing to do with any of that. It was um, an exercise of de defining our company values, mm -hmm. right? And and I think one of the reasons why we really doubled down on that was I had lots of stories about, you know, company culture basically evolving in a slightly uncontrollable way as you scale, right? So, you know, it was kind of okay when you had 10 people, but you've now got 100 people and the, the culture has become toxic. Yeah. Because, you know, why is this? And actually, one of the biggest reasons that we found was that the, the culture in some of the companies that had experienced that was actually wrong at 10 people, right? It was wrong at 10 people. The initial conditions were bad and all of a sudden it's, it's, it's uncontrollable. Mm -hmm. So we took the premise that, like, what, what is controllable at this stage? And culture, in my view, is not really controllable. Like, what's controllable is behaviors. Yeah. And so people started asking, like, what are your company values? And I didn't really have a good answer. So I was like, oh, I think we're kind of collaborative and it's like a nice environment and it's slightly kind of bullshitty. And so we ended up having um, some workshops with the team where we tried to define, you know, what are the commonalities and the beliefs of the companies? Like, what's our North Star? And all the way down to just being really, really specific. Mm -hmm. Like, so we have a value of keep it simple, but like, what are the good behaviors of keep it simple? What are the bad behaviors of keep it simple? And this all gets written up in a, a Notion document, it's repeated. And then we now celebrate in all hands once a week, a juror of the week, and that's always tied to a value. So, you know, Claire mm -hmm. is juror of the week, and uh, this is because she's demonstrated, you know, uh, love the details, and she did this in the, in the following way. And so we really try to get these initial conditions right, to come all the way back to that question, like why have we hired slowly, why aren't we scaling? So that when we do scale as we are now, we preserve this core, right? Mm -hmm. So there is a commonality of beliefs which is shared and every new person who comes in is interviewed for values fit. They know what the values are and it's really, really clear. And I think that that's been a huge project for us really over the last year to define because I just know what the risks are gonna be as, as we scale to a hundred people. And ultimately, you know, 
it's one thing to to have a a company that that can be successful. It's another to have a company you can be proud of, and that's it's really the latter that uh, that I'm interested in. Yeah, it's actually um, uh, it's it's really fascinating because I think that maybe when we were at the stage where we had maybe five five team members, uh, if someone is talking about uh, culture and company values, you're like, to be honest, I was always like, whatever. Uh, what is company what is company culture yes. yeah. values it's not something you should write on the wall it's just what happens if you hire people and yeah. i now get what you mean if you're getting ready to to skill fast you need to uh, uh yeah you can't you can't create your company culture you can make sure you hire people that show the behavior that you would like them to show uh and be have the humbleness that you would like people to have um and then you create a nice environment to work. And eventually that becomes your company culture, of course. But this is a typical topic that people do not care about until they reach the point on which they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to grow rapidly. This is the time on which I really should start thinking about this topic. Yes, I, I think I think that's right. And I heard enough horror stories there to try and like <laughs> mitigate that. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's like anything people start asking and. And you, you see subjective judgments happening. Someone says, you know, that behavior that someone's exhibiting is not good. Like, why is it not good? Why is it in it? And 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 I think just having that framework does help a lot. Um, yeah. and, and ultimately, you know, why do people go to work, right? I mean, we hire really only exceptional performers. They could go anywhere, um, you know, maybe for more money. I'm sure half the people we uh, have in our team could run away to Facebook and 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 everything would be like a little bit nicer uh, in, in financial terms. Um, you know, people go to work because because they want to find purpose. And, yeah. and I think giving people purpose, it goes beyond just, you know, writing code, right? It goes beyond just like selling stuff and getting commission. Um, I think purpose is is being part of a, really clear and unified mission um, that has clearly understood and opinionated principles and puts those principles into action by building a great product that that people love and and i think if you get that sort of chain that value chain wrong like actually your, your mission is just bullshit or it's not really well thought out you don't know what your mission is or the principles like again it's something you've put on a wall but like it was just something that like hr told you to put on the wall if you get that all wrong the uh, the, the effects can be that the um, the actual work that's done, the outcomes that are generated are the wrong outcomes. And yeah. if you're in that kind of you know that 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 chain of um, of of value, let's call it, um, and seeing those problems, then product market fit suffers, scale suffers, and you can hire as many people as you want, but still no one really knows what the company is about. And, mm -hmm. and that leads to people churn. It leads to uh, disengagement, poor performance, and ultimately, probably, you know, the death of your startup. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I completely agree on you. Uh, and on that note, we uh, we are running out of time. So perfect, uh, a perfect topic to uh, to end the episode with. I think what um, what will stick to me the most is the um, uh, it's it's a really clean and simple way to look at it, but you're actually completely right. The more you found your product market fit, the less fast you should scale, uh, or at least you sh it should be affordable for you to, uh, uh, it should be doable for you to scale a little bit slower uh, if you know that you're selling the right product to the right people. So it's, um, I think it's something that people should definitely keep in mind. If you are 
scaling really rapidly in terms of people um, and maybe your, your revenue is a bit behind, could be that that's actually uh, the reason why. And th there's never been a better time to do it, right? So yeah. in, in the current situation in the world, reduce your burn, um, uh, focus on product market fit, get to a closer level, and then be better prepared as the, the world hopefully recovers from where we are to, to scale uh, faster and more sustainably. Absolutely, absolutely. I want to uh, thank you for being my guest for today, Richard. I hope you liked the conversation. Thanks for having me, Charlie. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> That's great to hear. Uh, for everyone who's listening, if you have any questions for Richard or for me, you know where to find us. We are both active on LinkedIn. Um, if you want to, to know more about Juro, go check it out. Uh, it's a really amazing company. Um, and I hope to see you back on my next episode.